Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the crowdfunding podcast. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, April 21st, 2014. And on this day in history in 1973, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree top US pop charts. It became a cultural phenomenon, was the basis of a lawsuit and inspired the yellow ribbons that welcomed home U.S. hostages from Iran in 1981. Hey there, Kickstarter. I'm Rusty Ryan, artist, gentleman, and CEO of Rusty Lamps. Welcome to my mom's kitchen. A few years ago, this is where Rusty Lamps got its start. Yo, what up, dude? How's it going, man? Now, how are you, Mr. Light Extraordinaire? Light is your business, light is your love, all of that sort of stuff. It's the truth. I don't know, man. About five years ago, I've always been making stuff, but had a friend that helped me get into making a lamp for him, and ever since, I don't know, man. It's love. It's light. All right, Rusty Ryan, welcome to the crib. I don't want to leave that out. I don't want to be rude. Oh, man, I appreciate it. It's good to be here. I really like your show, man. Your voice is awesome. Thank you very much. But we're right here up. to talk about you and Rusty Lamps. Cool name for a lamp company. He needs help. So I advise you guys to go to Kickstarter and check him out because uh, he has about a week or so, let's say 10 days left or so, then he could use your help. And if you watch his video, I think he's very personal. And he's hawking those lamps, man. He's doing such a great job of it. I'm thinking he's working for like some major department stores. <laughs> <laughs> so. I appreciate that, man. Rusty, tell me a story, you know? Dude, how's your <laughs> mom doing? Tell her I said hello. Well, dude, she's actually very excited. She sent me a message a few minutes ago. She's like, call me as soon as it's done. I'm like, I will do that, mom. So why don't you tell me about this whole this whole trip, man? Because it has to be a journey for you, this whole Rusty Lamps thing. It has to be a journey on your way to a brand. I started out making lamps out of junk, like old blenders and, and whatnot. The more sockets I put in things and the more times I turn on that brand new lamp and see that light on the wall, like uh, one of the lamps on my Kickstarter, the top tier one, I didn't even expect all the shadows when I first made it. You know, I was like red, green, blue bulbs. This is going to be awesome. And then I turned right. it on and I was like, oh, holy cow, man. Roy G. Biv. It's a discovery for me every time. And that's the one with the three bulbs in it, right? Yeah, the RGB. It's like the old uh, TV technology and stuff, red, green, blue, before everything's all HD and LCD and all that now. Yeah, I remember. That's why I said Roy G. Biv. That's how they used to make us remember it in college. Roy G. Biv, RGB. I'm going to remember that. Yeah, Roy G. Biv. Um, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. That's what the yeah. whole thing was for. But, you know, you have red... RGB, but yeah, I got you. <laughs> Besides, you know, the money and stuff, but why'd you come to Kickstarter? Honestly, it was uh, a short time ago that I was just doing this as a hobby and everybody's been telling me, man, you know, your lamps are awesome. You got to take this bigger. And I do, I have floor lamp ideas and, you know, I have light sculptures out of like drum symbols and stuff. I got all this stuff in my head and, and uh, I don't know, Kickstarter, it just seemed like the thing to do. I kind of go by feeling. Right. I don't know, man. Sometimes once you start down the path... It just kind of unfolds itself. And ever since I started, it's it's been a learning experience. It has been humbling. It has blown my business and my creative mind wide open. 
Why don't you tell us some of the models of your lamps and stuff? Oh, I have five models. And the first for this project were the Hue 1 and the Hue 2, the, the ones that are the uh, colors of the rainbow. Because those little boxes are uh, they're boxes that do-it-yourself guitar pedal makers use. Oh. And I always loved them. And, you know, they put little dials and switches and stuff. But one day I was like, man, I could make a lamp out of that. And I found these colored bulbs that matched them, and they all came in six colors. And so I did that. And then the same company that I get my boxes from, they make the little aluminum boxes. So I tried some of those, and the RGB we were just talking about, man, you can get all the colors of the rainbow out of that thing, and I don't know if I want to say any of them are my favorite, but the Igor has got two bulbs that have these little spiral filaments. Uh, the term they use for them is like squirrel cage, because it's just, you know, such a brilliant little filament in there, and I don't know, man, it's total mad scientist, like, makes me want to have a dungeon lair. Ah, that's what I found interesting. In this project, in your rusty lamps thing, you're getting it off the ground. So you're telling me that you didn't reinvent the wheel. You're telling me that you already took established parts, like the guitar pedals things, and you just augmented stuff. I try to take things that, you know, people would normally throw away and or you wouldn't normally think would be a lamp hmm. and uh, put some life in it, you know, man. I'm trying to figure out. What would you use these lamps for? What would you describe I use these lamps for? If, like if you were trying to sell one to me right now, you know, potential backer and all, what would I use it for? At least for this project, it needs to be like a small lamp. Like maybe you just want a little drop of color in the room or if you're watching a movie, you know, you don't want to just paint the walls with light, but you know, you don't want to stub your toes on the coffee table or something. And then I used to work in IT and, you know, a lot of people work nights and they have a small desk in some office somewhere and they don't need a big, you know, huge, crazy light. So the lamps might be small and I do use low wattage bulbs because I am a bit concerned about electricity. You know, I like to try to save it a little bit. But, you know, I just figure there's somebody out there that needs a little spot of color, not too much crazy or just, uh, you know, just the right amount of light to do whatever they're doing. Just a spot of color. You said that a bunch in a video, just a spot of color. That's the, uh, the Hue 1 and the Hue 2, which honestly, I, I mean, I don't know if I want to say this, but I thought those were going to be more popular just because they would be a little more unique. But uh, those retro lamps, the Mandel and the Igor and the RGB, those have been far more popular so far. But hey, man, I'm just glad people are loving them. I notice videos a lot, you know, visuals a lot. And it felt like your copy was impeccably written. Did your mom do that? Who did that? You're calling me out, man. You're calling me out. No, no, no. Uh, you know? If you can't tell, that's okay. But really, this project has been a whole one-man thing, man. I shot the video. I, I gave myself like a one-week crash course in one of those uh, video editing softwares. And I do all my own pictures and graphic design. Not that I'm trying to boost myself up or anything, but I love learning new skills. I just don't think you can ever really know how to do it you know, too much. So I just wanted to compliment you and say... You know, hats off, man. I think it's a really cool project. I want anybody out there, if you, you know, if you're swinging by Kickstarter and you want to find out the latest keepsake, man, I think these lights are functional. But I also think they're keepsakes because there's a kind of a special, kind of a warm look about them. I think that's very cool. And I think it's very cool. Rusty didn't reinvent the lamp or something. It was almost like he went to Home Depot and just grabbed like the coolest gear that he saw there and that he could imagine as a unique lamp. And that's what I think is cool about it. And that's why I wanted to talk to him. And that's why I'd like you to go check it out on Kickstarter. And if you can't find Empower Your Nights with Rusty Lamps, that's a tongue twister for me. But if you can't find it there and you can't drive to Seattle where he lives, 
always go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links for the freshest projects on Kickstarter. And I say Rusty is in that class. Dude, man. thank you very much for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me, man. And uh, I wish you the best of love, life, and light yourself. Hi, I'm Ben. Dentist by day. Board gamer by night. Welcome to DJ like Grandpa's Crib, Benjamin. You have the game. I'm sure I'll pronounce it wrong, but I believe it's called Sakura. I'm not a fluent Japanese speaker myself, although I am a weekly sushi eater at my favorite sushi restaurant. But it is pronounced um, Sakura or something close to that. Okay, all right. And it seems as though in your video on Kickstarter, you took a lot of time to talk about, to express, to go over in detail how this game is trying its best to be culturally accurate and fun at the same time. That's right. Tell me what is the game about? You got your rice patties. You got, you know, lumber coming in from the forests, iron coming in from the mountains. You manage those resources, you build up your army, and you go attack. Right. That you manage with peasants, foot soldiers, samurai. We tried to bring feudal Japanese warfare down to its very basic level, uh, something that could be easily managed, understood, and yet a lot of fun to play. But I love that area of history when I was in school, feudalism. Totally cool. It's fascinating. Right, but you seem to have like a bunch of a bunch of I don't I don't I don't know what you call them, but you you seem to have these coins with holes in it. You seem to have a mini or two in it, like a sculpture, a samurai, uh -huh. and you have like these I don't know if they're dice or they're meeples with Japanese symbols on them. Those are I guess you could call them meeples. They're gonna be our own custom-sized wooden blocks. Now there's a Japanese game that's similar to chess. It's called shogi. And we try to mimic shogi pieces with these meeples that we have. So for somebody familiar with traditional Japanese games, they're going to look at that and say, oh, that looks like shogi. Well, they just have different symbols on it, meaning peasant, foot soldier, samurai. And those are your soldiers that you send out into battle. I guess kind of abstract, but we wanted it to look organic. What is the game all about? The rapid play, that's one of my biggest issues. I didn't want to have a game that took two, three hours to play. We wanted the 15 to 30 minute game. Yeah, but how could you do a strategic war game or feudal game in 15 to 30 minutes? It happens like this. You have your map piece, you build up your city, and you have several different strategies, whether you're going for power cards or you're building up coins or you build up your army or focus on resources. There's several different strategies, but the game ends once the first city is destroyed. Right. And so it's kind of a pretty fast rapid fire attack off the bat because if you stay behind and you just try to build up the walls and not interact with anybody and trying to be all safe, you may just lose the game because you're not going out there and attacking. Definitely wanted this to be an attack-centered, action-packed game. And that's why even if there's four players, it lasts as long as a two-player game because the first city to go down ends the game. But I'm thinking if it's like, if you're like crushing somebody and 15 to 30 minutes, that has to be fun, right? I mean, am I assuming this? You're talking to somebody who's going to be biased. I made the game. I love it. I know, but you're not a liar. <laughs> People that are playing the game, it's like once it's over, they want to play it again because it's over so quickly. They're like, oh, let me change my strategy. Let me change what I, what I was thinking there. 
and it's a game that you can play two, three times in a night rather than one long, drawn-out game. I get you now. Your strategy always... You sure you weren't an advertising major in a previous life? I don't know. I sure hope not. <laughs> I'm not good at advertising. Just look at my dental website. It's, it's not good. What is your dental website? I have to check this out. Okay, so if you go to eldoradohillsdental.com, you're going to see... Uh, a poorly constructed dental website. Yeah, it's probably, it looks like it's about 10, 12 years old. And in okay. internet terms, that's pretty ancient. Yeah, that that's a rough one. It's me and my dad. We're both dentists. We're, we're working on it. Okay, does your dad support you in this whole gaming biz? Or is he like, son, you're meant to be a dentist, not a gamer. <laughs> when I had an early prototype, I sat down with my mom. Right. Of course, she supports me no matter what. She's like, oh, Ben, this is the greatest game. I love it. She loves me. She loves the game. That's great. She was one of my first backers. Okay, that's great. My dad sits down for like 30 seconds. He's like, I've got to, I've got to go do something. He walks up, doesn't come back. He is not a board gamer. <laughs> so, but since then, I've kind of gotten him into board gaming. In this whole year's process of developing this game, I started out small, a small-time board game like Parcheesi. Then we worked up to Settlers of Catan. And oh, Settlers. Yeah, so now I've gotten him even to play X-Wing's miniatures. Yeah, that's a big one. You've gotten him to play X-Wing miniatures. I'm thinking you had to start off with, like, old maid cards or something. <laughs> <laughs> if my dad can learn to love it, it's a game for everybody and a lot of fun, a lot of strategy for your hardcore board gamers and easy enough for those just getting into board gaming. It's definitely something unique, so check it out. And synopsis, if he were an advertising major, he would have said, if my dad can come to love it, so can you. <laughs> there you go. This game, you know, I'm thinking Japanese, I'm thinking Asian culture, I'm thinking stereotypically, I'm thinking that there is no I, you know, there's supposed to be we. And in the video, you showed how you had an entire team, you know, we. It's just so awesome how a group of people has come together to make this happen. It's not just me. Yeah, I, I mean, I designed the game, but we have playtesters. We have Nathan, who's doing statistics and programming. We have Rachel, who's this amazing artist who's a huge Japan fan. We have a PhD in Japanese culture who's helped us with, with a lot of these cultural references. And, you know, everybody has their part. And it was like magic. It's like the stars aligned to have everybody come together for this to happen. I wanted to give you a hard time, but I just can't take advantage of a dentist, man. <laughs> I couldn't do it. But for anyone out there, I'd like you to go to Kickstarter. And no matter what your trade is, you know, let's say you're an accountant, you're anything where you may do the same thing kind of over and over, you know. And I think that's pretty much most of us. But this is gives me hope. A dentist by day and avid game maker by night. It gives hope for all of us. So go to Kickstarter.com and check out Sakura. And I know I didn't pronounce it properly, you know, like Japanese or whatever, but S-A-K-U-R-A, -A, and you can pronounce it for yourself, the board game. And if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com where we try to give different voices a chance, especially one like Benjamin. Thank you very much for coming on the show and giving DJ Grandpa a chance. Well, thank you so much, DJ Grandpa. Remember, we are the crowdfunding channel, and we cover the globe. Hi, I'm Scott. Camping's great fun, but always a chore to avoid the dirt and damp that come with it. But, you know, that's part of the adventure. Right, kids? Yeah! <laughs> Mold and 
mildew form easily in your camping gear if not clean and dried and put away properly. While some camping pillows are washable, they just don't measure up to the comfort of your home pillow. Hey, DJ. Hey, how's it going, Scott? <laughs> How you doing? Now we're old friends. It's been like uh, six months. You sent me an email, man, and you seem to have quite a story to tell. I mean, I'm back on Kickstarter. I was had a great success thanks to you and all the others that joined in and on the uh, Fresh Air Pillow. And yeah. we produced it, sent them out, and got everybody their pillows. They were happy. They, they love them. But it was, it was a very costly venture. And <laughs> <laughs> right, but you broke the curse, though. It's kind of like that, um, I can't think of the name of that vampire family, and they went on for hundreds of years, and someone finally <laughs> broke the curse. You're right. I got some sold, and uh, we've done well. And what I did is, as, as I was revamping it to try and make it a more solid product in the washing machine, to make it less costly, um, improve my production and everything, I, I, and developed the packaging for the retailers, I ended up creating a great camping and travel pillow. Right. Because this is a highly compressible pillow. And I looked at the market and I, I saw this as being a, a more targetable market for me. And lo and behold, I decided this was worthy enough again to launch on Kickstarter. Okay, the Adventure, the Adventure Pillow and Fresh Air Pillow, Seattle, Washington, Scott Rockland, Kickstarter. Check them out, but it's not the it's not the Fresh Air Pillow right now. It's the Adventure well, Pillow. But Yeah, it, it still is the Fresh Air because it's, it's still the most washable pillow the most thoroughly washable pillow see it's why still... didn't you get that in and first you waited to the end to say that well that's what you do you, you kind of get on the shark tank and you give them the punchline at the end and then they then they have to fold and take right. you. i'm not <laughs> really that rough on people am i hear people I, <laughs> I hear people say i don't always give people the most positive time i i know that but they're laughing oh, the whole time you're, you're... You're absolutely great. I've listened to your other cast, and you're just—I mean—that's why I like coming on this, sh this show. I think you're—you actually uh, let me r run away with my my own thoughts. Thanks. I've been having some fun with the guests this year, man. I didn't know it was possible. You know, been there, done that. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> we're debating, but we're—I'm going to do a uh, one of those interviews with the Shark Tank next uh, week, and, oh, congrats, and see what happens. Man. And, you know, see where we go from there. Everybody likes to be around billionaires, man, I hear. Yeah. So, you know. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Ask them about the feud with him and Trump, man. That'll get you in. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. I'm yeah. sure. Well, well no, nah, you don't want to sabotage your chances or something. But I, I got you. But congratulations, man. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll just, you know, cross my fingers. Yeah. This has, uh, you know, been uh, it's been a great travel road been a great adventure and this is uh you know it's been a pleasure to to get on this show and as part of the adventure no thanks dude i appreciate you coming on because i mean last time it was like you were at a truck stop or something so you <laughs> you've apparently moved up in the world you, you were like at a truck stop and your uncle was holding you up or something i mean it was well a, you got a memory you got a real <laughs> you're exactly you were weaving in and out of traffic and stuff, so <laughs> now you're with the children. Your wife has changed your life, man. Changed your life. She's a great inspiration, and so is her son. Yeah. It's a lot of fun, and this is the product that we're really focused on and you know, putting it out there for everything we can, and we really appreciate the Kickstarter people that have helped support us. And How is the 
business model coming out. You know, like you got your Kickstarter dream, you got your first pillow off, you know, there was this family competition generation to generation right. who would do it. So you finally did it. I guess I'm trying to say I know you're making the, money, Scott. Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> no, no, no. I guess I guess that's always the point, you know, if you're talking about Shark Tank and you're talking about but not I really don't care. I mean, yes, I do care because I'm a capitalist, so I do care if you're making money. But is it succeeding? Succeeding, but you also want to know about the stewardship of the monies that you raised. How did that go? Because you alluded right. to, you know, sharks. Well, you're talking about Shark Tank, but but sharks right. everywhere. That's the problem oh, yeah. I have in the industry. Sharks everywhere. So how did that go after you got the money in your hands? You know, I've been in management for all my life, so I I'm pretty tentative how I'm going to spend that money and. Right. But still, the biggest problem I had was I could never get my manufacturers around there to give me hard numbers because they had never done this before. It was just a, that was the difficult process we went through. And so they yeah, at the end of the game, you know, well, this is going to be this much and this is going to be this much. And I'm like, oh, there goes all the money. Right. When that happened, I had to really go and, and relook at the business plan and decide is, you know, I mean, we have to hit a certain market. We have to have a certain price point for this product and can we even do it or should I just abandon the whole thing? And, <laughs> and that's when the redevelopment kind of took place. I was able to chop my costs in half and find new ways to manufacture this, keep it in the U S keep it manufactured in the U S and actually develop this parallel product. That's, you know, the same product, but it's really targeted now towards the camper and the adventure and the, and right. the, ultimately the 3 billion people who set up on an airplane every year. And right. that's where the, the big market is. And yeah, the United States, uh, you know, has about 40 million campers every year. So we're really after that initially. And we actually might be able to make money on this one rather than lose it. Right. <laughs> I won't make much, but we're doing it at a much lower price point. And we've got our manufacturing down and everything. And I mean, it makes me excited, actually, that I've got something now that I think is really exciting to sell. And people actually are, they really love the little one the ease of portability and right. and they like the price point and uh, right, right, we're actually able to make it without losing our tail. Right. And that makes me excited. And so, you know, to answer your question, the, that part of the business, I think we're going to be able to, uh, how they say, we're going to be able to scale this thing a little bit better. I didn't want to ask you about the profitability question because even the government gives small businesses five years to, you know, <laughs> so DJ Grandpa, I didn't want to hit you that low, you know. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's information I want my Kickstarters to know that, you know, it's not a, this has not been an easy product to pull off because Pillow's manufacturing takes room, takes a, you know, facility and, and we've right. had to kind of separate the different facilities and um, outsource the, the sewing to a sewing specialty sewing shop and, and so forth. But eventually we like to do it all in one, in one place and then really cut our costs and be able to, you know, have a really worthwhile company and employ Americans, if you know, if at all possible, the more and more, and just keep it in the USA. But it's been a tough battle there, that's for sure. No, but it's been fun. I wouldn't be at it if I if I wasn't having a ball on it. So pillows are in your family blood. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> one, in my blood. one question. Sometimes family members get jealous. So let's say this has been a generational thing, and everybody's tried it. You know, we failed at it. How how did Scott do it? I mean, were they looking at you funny like when you went to this year's family or last year's family picnic and all with your new wife and you seemingly have the fresh air pillow in hand? My mother's sister, uh, when she first heard that I was launching that, 
the last Kickstarter, she said, you're still working on that pillow? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a matter of fact, I, you know, I had never given that thing up. And, oh. and she was like, oh, that's great. You know, she, was, she was happy, but still like surprised. And I have three brothers and they're all, um, they're starting to actually see now that it actually is a product. <laughs> it's not just a research <laughs> and development. And, you know, it was always, I'm sleeping right. on it. I'm I'm getting there. I'm sleeping on it. But Kickstarter is what really gave us the platform to make it happen. So that's why I did the second one is because I was going to start marketing it, you know, to retailers and, and online. And so when I said, you know what, I finally just said, I'm going to really just give it to Kickstarter and we're going to see if this product is desired as I think it is. And it's everybody's, they're going after the, the smaller one, but they're going after both. And Right. They're saying it's great. They just like the the concept and idea. And where do they get the pillow? I think they're going to love it. For anyone out there, you're checking out Kickstarter. It's now the Adventure Pillow. I hear it comes in a compressed package. Not explosive, but very exciting <laughs> when you open the package. It's explosive. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to go there. I tempted him, but Scott is very funny and I think if you watch the video, you'll get the humor in it. You'll see the family element. DJ Grandpa always supports the family. And apparently he always supports fresh air pillows. But this time, like I said, it's the adventure pillow to look for on Kickstarter. Thanks for coming on the crib. I appreciate it. And I hope to see you again. Like all systems, the Ethereum had its limits. In its natural state, the raw quantum noise was capable of crushing an unprepared human consciousness. The first efforts to project the human mind into this waiting reality were catastrophic. But the draw to this brave new world was too profound to ignore. Time was matter. One day of experience within the Ethereum was measured by minutes in the material world. Weeks were hours, months were days, there was a kind Yo, of Chris, how's it going, man? Hey, how you doing? Anvil 8 all the way, man. That's me. Well, us, I should say. I was like, the Ethereum. <laughs> I forgot it was like a board game. I was thinking a video game, but then I was thinking like I was watching a movie and it was like I had popcorn and stuff. And I was like, the Ethereum. I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, and, and it's like a civil war, colonialism and all of that. And they were fighting. And I was like, it's it's bigger than the internet ever was. And, I mean, so you're just like, you had me going the whole way, man. Cool, cool. Anvil 8. There's like five of you guys or eight of you guys? Anvil 8 is myself and Brian and then our, our other three buddies that kind of round it out. A lot of people don't know that there's this board gaming revolution going on. And... I keep thinking of it as just the plethora of board games. You know, there's like a million of them. It's like more than I've ever seen or heard of before. But when I watched your video, I kind of came to the realization it's just not the amount of video games. It's the different types. Like yours has like five or six different boards or something. And, and minis, you know, mini sculptures and stuff. So it's just not the amount of board games. It's, it's the different ways you... I guess you would call the mechanics and stuff to actually play these board games. Miniature games and board games have just kind of had this huge burst of energy the last 
you know, two, three years, and uh, some of them have been very successful uh, using things like Kickstarter. I kind of blame it on the Ethereum, man. That's what, I <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm blaming it on the Ethereum. Could be. A world of limitless possibilities where one can breach their own mind's limits and step into a new world. You got it. I've always wanted to say that. <laughs> you guys are out of Chicago, Illinois, and I think before we go any further, you should probably explain better than I ever could what is the board game Ethereum. Ethereum kind of sits as a hybrid between board games and miniature games. Right. So it's a board game in the sense that you can buy the game, you know, the core box, and that's got everything you need to play. You know, and it's a board game in the sense that it actually is played on a board. But it's a miniatures game in the sense that the miniatures that come in the game are of miniature game quality. You know, they're designed and created to be built and cleaned and painted and then the game can be expanded upon by adding in other models and units you know so it's got that aspect of the miniature game you know collecting and customizing and things of that nature ethereum has a really unique mechanic that i have really not ever seen in any other board game before and that comes about with how you can manipulate the actual board i saw that the way it works is there's this blue grid map that you lay out and that is called the quantum noise mat and that represents like the raw uninhabited uncolonized areas that make up the ethereum mm -hmm. and you can think of that just kind of like a like an ocean of static or white noise is kind of the best way to think of that right and then the tiles that you see on top of those those represent these safe habitable zones that uh, the users and the hackers can enter into the game and because the system is designed to be this really malleable device that you can manipulate and kind of do what you will with it to represent that in the game players can spend a resource they gain in the game to move the tiles around the board and rotate them and since you generally want to stay on the tiles, because if you move off of them into the noise, you'll take damage and your units could get destroyed. Yeah, I'm thinking you're gone. Yeah, so being able to manipulate and change the board like that can be huge, and it leads to a lot of interesting uh, tactical ideas and strategies, you know, and you can never really you know, consider yourself safe because if your opponent's got an, enough resources, he can manipulate the board just as much as you can. Man, I know the year's like 2047 or 2050, so I'm thinking I'm in the future. And then when you guys actually got to the board play, then I saw like these boards, you, you're manipulating them. You're like turning them 45 degrees or something like that. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was in the future, so then I got confused again because it's only 2014. <laughs> so. Well, well maybe, maybe I can explain a little bit and kind of give, give everybody like a history lesson here. So Ethereum takes place in the not-too-distant future, and the actual regular world is really overpopulated and polluted, and it's been wrecked by economic ruin. Right. There's been several trade wars conducted between governments and massive corporations that have kind of ruined most of what's left of the world, and many of the larger governments have collapsed, and a lot of countries have kind of gone back to uh, you know their own little fiefdoms or city-states. 
And so things are very disorganized and the world itself is kind of bleak. And like the everyday person, the everyday citizen, you know, their life pretty much consists of go to whatever menial job they have for, you know, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, go home and then go back and do it again. You know, so it's very monotonous, boring existence. Right. So what happens is a group of scientists discover what eventually becomes the Ethereum. And it's this digital world that they realize they can kind of link themselves into. Not unlike how people were able to like link into the Matrix, for example. I thought of the Matrix, but I didn't want to say that. I, I didn't want to say that because it was like, you know, because it's the Matrix and you're the Ethereum. And But I did see the similarities when you were talking about some sort of almost like Mount Zion or something and some sort of fluidic walls or something like that, you know? So people can link into the system in some way, you know, they they jack in with a, you know, a device to their head or to their wrists or they have like a, you know, a visor that goes over their head when they sit in a chair. Or, right. You know, it all depends, you know, everyone has their own unique gear. But anyway, these scientists discover a way to enter this system. And at first it's catastrophic because the test subjects they send in just land in the quantum noise and the quantum noise will just fry a user's brain and destroy their digital avatar and the feedback from that is pretty catastrophic to the actual person back in the real world so it can outright kill them it can send them into a coma or mind wipe them and you know otherwise not be a very pleasant experience so the first test subjects, you know, pretty much are all just killed in this random experiment because nobody knows what they're doing. Eventually, they're lucky enough to land some test subjects near this massive structure slash device that they eventually decide to call a node. Mm. And the nodes are these rarely occurring devices that they find throughout the Ethereum, and they project these habitable zones right. that a user can enter and it kind of holds the quantum noise at bay. Now, I'm thinking there are only two types of people in the world in 2047. There's those <laughs> who would take the plunge and be one of those test subjects and those that wouldn't take the plunge and be one of those test subjects. Which are you? I think I'd probably be a test subject because... Uh, the first ones or the second ones? Well, hopefully one of the later ones that once the system's refined. But I, you know, I don't see myself as, as a scientist that would discover this system. Right. But I would certainly be excited to help continue to discover and, and explore it. But I'm definitely a test subject, I think. DJ Grandpa, he's not a test subject. <laughs> When I've worked jobs, I was never the first person to just leap out there, you know? I'd, I'd let other people kind of like, I guess do all the dirty work or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I'd let them do all the discoveries <laughs> and then write the quick tips or the cliff notes. And I would take the cliff notes and I, I'd modify things. You know, I'm an improver type of guy, you know, quality control and all of that and, and not making the same mistakes over and over. But I'm, I'm not really that type of guy to just leap in the, the quantum flux like that, you know, all of a sudden. <laughs> Does that make me lame, do you think? No, no, I, I think that makes you smart, if nothing else. <laughs> now, because of the weirdo stuff you showed me with the flipping of the boards and stuff, mm -hmm. and actually having minis and, you know, all the different few type of dice that I saw, it just looked like it was the future, man. 10,000 geeks or something like that, and I don't know how to explain it, but to me it seems like that would be fun. I mean, you play tested this thing with like real people, not computers, right? And did they say it was fun? We've spent the last two years developing the game ourselves. We've used our own time and resources. 
to create prototypes right. and get the game to where it was. Because our, our goal all along was when we went to Kickstarter, we wanted to have a near-finished product. Right. And we didn't want to use funds from Kickstarter to develop a game and have people waiting for a game to come out. We wanted to be like, look, we've got a game. We need the money to go into actual physical production. And all right. the time that it's going to take is going to be just that time to produce the game and ship it to you. We were out at uh, Adepticon this weekend, which is mm -hmm. uh, a huge miniatures convention with tournaments and such over mm -hmm. here in Chicago. And we ran demo games all weekend long from 10 to 10, Thursday through Sunday. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was really not a moment that our booth was not busy. I mean, we had our demo games filled all weekend long. The response from the community was overwhelmingly positive. Everyone enjoyed the game. The moving the tiles was was a hit mechanic. Everyone Told seemed you. to really enjoy that. So there's only two types of people, man. <laughs> <laughs> For anyone out there, I'm saying Anvil Eight is cool. I'm saying the Ethereum is cool. I'm saying go check it out. I can't, you know, I don't want to say I can't stop talking about these guys, but it does seem like I can't stop talking about these guys because I was really excited about the video. I thought it was a movie. I got popcorn and everything. Go to Kickstarter. Type in Ethereum, A-E-T-H-E-R-I-U-M. It's by Anvilate Games. They're out of Chicago. If you can't find them there, go to djgrandpa.com, and we will provide very nice links for Anvilate Games. Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. I'd like to thank all our guests. I'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams, and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's crib. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. 